The U.S. Supreme Court decided that Title 42 will stay in place for now. That's the measure enacted during the pandemic that restricts uh, migration at America's southern border, turning most people around and sending them out of the country, and even if they qualify for asylum. Joining us to break down the significance of the Supreme Court decision is CBS legal analyst Thane Rosemount. Thane, good morning. Good morning, Spike. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Well, the high court's decision is uh, temporary, as we know. Tell me, what does that mean? So, Lisa, the the Title 42 was set to expire last week when a federal judge a month ago uh, essentially said it's an emergency procedure that was implemented in connection with the coronavirus. And this is not a law enforcement or border enforcement law. It's there for national emergencies, just like COVID. And so it's being misapplied. So we should lift it. He basically was, you know, this perfect example of like judges trying to decide things on very narrow ground. He's saying this is the wrong law for that. So we have to lift it. An appellate court agreed with him and the and Title 42 was set to expire last week. Nineteen Republican led states, however, filed a lawsuit to maintain Title 42 because they're saying, look, the border is already open. We've used it over the last few years to uh, expel over two million people. We're not prepared to, to, to stem the tide of the numbers of people that are sitting in Mexico literally waiting for like a track meet. The minute it's lifted, they, everyone on the other side of the border knows what Title 42 is, right? They're literally saying it's going to be lifted and it'll be so, you know, everybody with with bated breath had this deadline and the Supreme Court a few days ago just said, look, let's temporarily put a stay, keep it in place. The Biden administration has challenged Title 42. They, too, believe that it's an inappropriate law to be used for law uh, border enforcement purposes. And the Supreme Court, all the Supreme Court said was, you know what, we're going to hear this case. We're going to actually get everyone to brief the case. We have oral argument in February. And until that happens, Title 42 should remain in place. And, 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 and at that point, we'll determine what should happen in, in February. So, Ted, how does, this, um, me, how does this immediately affect those immigrants waiting at the southern border? So the, they're going to have to wait, uh, except for the people that actually are crossing anyway, right? So that's sort of the paradox with this spike, right? That, you know, you see images, it doesn't seem like the border is closed. The administration has said the border is secure, but people are crossing. What the states are saying is, yeah, they're crossing, but do you know how many more they're going to cross? So for instance, I think it's something like in El Paso, it's 1,500 people a day. And the El Paso local authorities are saying, yeah, but it'll go to 6,000 a day if we can't use Title 42. And the states are literally saying this isn't even just about COVID. Of course not. It's about everything, right? Law enforcement, other aspects of public health. The systems are simply not set up to absorb this kind of uh, immigration that fundamentally isn't, you know, in, isn't consistent with that, with law, which would require people to wait and receive you know, uh, their asylum applications to get them processed. So it essentially what it does is it, it doesn't shut off the border, but it definitely stems the tide. And the concern is that there's already uh, stretched resources with regard to public safe, public health safety, and that a, an increase in immigration is going to strain those resources even further. That's why so many states, Republican state leaders, are opposed to the lifting of this. 
That's right, Spike. But, you know, the Supreme Court, their argument is when you show up here in February states, you 19 states that are challenging this law, uh, one question, remember, Supreme Court, except for Dobbs, the uh, abortion decision, generally speaking, it's important for your listeners to know the Supreme Court institutionally prefers very narrow rulings. Very nice. They don't like sweeping pronouncements. That's why everyone was so surprised by the abortion ruling, right? It's one thing to chip away at abortion. It's another thing to completely invalidate uh, the, the, uh, the protection. So it looks like the Supreme Court's going to be talking about the procedural issue of standing. Do the 19 states have what's called procedural standing to bring the case? Because many of those states probably aren't receiving any, any migrants at all. Right. So you might say, well, maybe it's only the actual border states that can bring this because they are the ones uh, that are absorbing all of the administrative mm. burden. Well, and in the meantime, yes, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, unfortunately, we are just out of time. If you have about uh, 10 seconds to wrap that up. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, but in the meantime, as you know, what hasn't stopped is is sh- shipping uh, immigrants to other states, blue states, whether it's Martha's Vineyard or now we saw it outside the house of the vice president. Well, thank you so much. Uh, There's a lot to unpack here. We appreciate your time. CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum. Thank you, Nick. My pleasure. (laughs) It's Seattle's morning news. And what, what what a better time to have our expert in the building with us. High winds, high water, more knocked out power lines in the region. And we're still seeing alert bulletins. Uh, Ted Beener joins us now. Ted, when we're seeing news and alerts of flooding or flood stage, does that mean water in people's homes or water on the roads? What is the official National Weather Service definition of flooding versus what we might think it is? Okay, let's talk to the basics here. First of all, National Weather Service works with local jurisdictions to establish what is flood stage. And flood stage is where water starts to have an impact on property of any kind. It could be roads, it could be pastures, things along those lines. And that's what we've been experiencing for years. For, for quite quite frankly now they have three different levels of flood warnings minor flood moderate flood and major flood now when you climb up to moderate that's when working with local authorities where things start to be even more impactful more water inundation more maybe getting into some of those homes that are in those low lying areas maybe a few more roads things like that that's what we're experiencing on the Skokomish River right now here this morning they are in a moderate uh, flood level at this point and then when you get to major this is Widespread flooding all over the place. You might remember December 07 down in Lewis County when the Chehalis went bonkers. Okay, that is major or even in this case, record flooding. I mean, widespread inundation, lots of of people having to evacuate to get out to move to higher ground. Uh, Livestock needs to move uh, to move to higher ground unless you lose them. And that's what happened in Lewis County in in December of 07. Uh, So there's your definitions of minor moderate and major flood. You can even have record flood, um, which fortunately is very rare, but it can and does happen.
Yeah, or even Whatcom County in November of last year, although it wasn't as bad as, as what you were talking about in 07. Um, Everett is under a, a flood advisory right now. So t- what's the difference between a flood advisory and a, a watch and that sort of thing? Well, I think in, they, they're learning from what happened yesterday with our uh, king tide. Now, keep in mind, remember we talked about king tides yesterday. Uh, and again, this is when the sun and the moon and our orbit around the sun, we're actually closer to the sun during the winter season than we are during the summer season. Imagine if we were closer to the sun, it'd be even hotter here during the summer. But anyway, um, so you got the gravitational pull there. But another key factor yesterday was the storm that was coming through. And we had really low atmospheric pressure. So if you can imagine, uh, you know, nature with its hands pushing uh, pushing down with atmospheric pressure, that's what's occurring today. We have more of that today than we did yesterday. Yesterday, they lightened the load. So those hands were less pressure on the water, so it had a chance to rise even higher than it normally would. And that's why we saw water uh, in those low-lying areas throughout Puget Sound area in uh, all over the place. So in the case of Everett, Marine View Drive uh, was covered with high tidal water Uh, there north of the navy area and coming down the hill from the golf course there is where that low lying spot was and they had to close the road for a number of hours and they are in they're getting ready to do so again today we have another high tide today that's later on this morning uh, right around 9.30 for the Seattle area. It's a little different up towards Everett, a little different down toward Olympia. But the idea is when you have king tides, it's not just one day. It is over a series of days. We're on the downhill side of it at this moment. Excuse me. <clears throat> on the downhill side of it at this moment. But the high tide today is just a few inches lower than it was yesterday. But that doesn't mean you're going to have more widespread flooding like we did yesterday. Keep in mind, we have higher atmospheric pressure, so we're going to have less of an anomaly that will be involved with how high that high tide will be ultimately. Ted, are any of the rivers in danger of flooding right now or in the next several days with all this rain we're getting? Oh, fortunately, no. We had all that heavy rain yesterday. Uh, The snow levels have come down considerably up in the Cascades. It's snowing up at at, uh, Stevens and Sequoia Pass at this moment. Um, So, yeah, we've kind of cut off all the precepts. So all of the runoff in the river, what's in the rivers now is what's running off now and will be slowly but surely uh, receding as we head in towards this weekend. So no one should be preparing to evacuate. Were, were we beyond that? Yeah, I think that's the case. I know we're going to have more rain coming in for tomorrow and on Friday, but nowhere near the amount of rain that we had uh, here in the last 24 hours or so. How often do these rivers flood on average every season? Oh, geez. It can vary from year to year. I would say we typically have maybe two, three, four flooding episodes per winter season. There's been years where it's been more, and there's been years when there's right. been less. So, uh, But, you know, ballpark, maybe somewhere around four episodes during the course of the season. Thank you, Ted. Ted Beater, always great to have you here, especially during this episode. It's nice to know exactly what we can expect and shouldn't worry about. Southwest Airlines CEO Bob Jordan says he's truly sorry for the thousands and thousands of canceled flights in the wake of last week's massive winter storm. In a video statement, Jordan said this giant puzzle will take several days to solve. Joining us now is CBS News correspondent Jim Kasula. Jim, good morning. Hi, good morning, Spike. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. What is the latest in the Southwest dilemma? I heard that it's of, of 2,800 canceled flights today. Southwest is responsible for 2,500 of those. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I'm looking here, the, the latest numbers spike. Southwest Airlines has canceled now again 
about 70% of its flights today. I can tell you that the statement that the company's put out a statement all within the last half, half hour or so, Spike, saying that they have put in place steps to refund, rebook, and reimburse customers. Nothing more specific than that, but at least maybe that's something that they can build upon at this point. I can also tell you, Spike, that both Delta and United, and now I'm just seeing a note, American as well, all three of those huge airlines, have put a cap into place on their fares in all the markets that Southwest operates. So uh, they're trying to obviously reduce any chance of people being price gouged if these thousands of people who have been stuck the last week or so can even get on one of those flights, a Delta or United or American flight. So can you describe exactly what's going on here? I hear that all, crews are actually at work, but they're not able to get on planes. What What's happening? Yeah, that's right, Lisa. So it appears that the start of this mess almost a week ago, well, basically a week ago, midweek last week, started with the weather. Of course, the, the snow that came across much of the country started there in the Pacific Northwest and came across the country. So that was the start of this. Then, it depends on who you ask, the the company, Southwest Airlines, says this nightmare is the result of so many canceled flights and the fact that it couldn't get flight crews in place to handle a lot of flights. But the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association says that's not it at all. They say that it's simply a computer system that's aged, it's it's too old, it can't keep up, the company doesn't want to put money into it that's necessary, and that's what's prompted all of this, a software issue, basically. I hear it's the Southwest crew scheduling system that's being pointed out specifically for this problem. That's right, and again, even the pilots say, yeah, there, there are problems with that, it's, it's an archaic system, it needs to be upgraded. And again, a lot of finger pointing, as you can imagine, going on here, Spike. And one of the things that Pilots Association, the Pilots Union is saying is, hey, the company is making a lot of money, but they're not willing to put money back into the operation in terms of modernization and upgrading software and and the scheduling of flight crews. Now, Senators Ed Markey and Richard Blumenthal, both members of the Commerce Committee, have said that uh, Southwest has to do more than just make up for the cost. And Southwest had originally said this is weather-related. We're not responsible, as you mentioned earlier. That has been changed. They made a statement saying they will do something for customers. But these two senators saying that more than just the cost of missed flights or hotels, there needs to be some compensation for the, the, the missed holidays that these passengers experience by being stuck at airports. Yeah, and how do you do that? How do right. you adequately compensate people for that spike when you're missing spending Christmas with your family or friends, you know, obviously? So um, the transportation, U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has said, hey, basically same thing. We're going to hold Southwest accountable. We're going to find out what happened, why it happened, and how to prevent it from happening again. I guess the big question then is what major law firm is going to handle the first of many class action <laughs> lawsuits against Southwest? Yeah, I would think so. Certainly, Lisa, but perhaps some have even been filed already. We don't yet know about it. But yes, you know that's coming. It is good to hear that other airlines are stepping up, putting caps in place, as you mentioned, to, that, that customers won't be price gouged and just trying to get home. That's exactly right. And and again, 
uh, you know, in instances where uh, people even at this point trying to, to get home to loved ones who may be seriously ill or near death, they, they want to say their final goodbyes and, and they can't do that, obviously. One of the, the issues that's developed with this lease and spike is a tremendous shortage of rental cars. Because in these cities, as you can imagine, even there at SeaTac Airport, so many people stranded that, hey, I'm just going to get in the car and drive. But that's not even an option because there are so few rental cars available with all of this. I travel a lot for CBS, and I can tell you, since the last year or so, since tra- travel has picked up again through the pandemic, I've even run into issues prior to this where rental cars are at a premium because one of the problems is – when rental cars saw their business drop off the table, they simply got rid of a lot of their fleets. And they haven't been able to rebuild those fleets back up in part because, you know, again, it, it, it's just all so interrelated. The issue of a lot of these car manufacturers can't pump out new vehicles because of the shortage of computer chips. And as a result, even prior to this mess, a lot of the major rental car rental companies simply didn't have enough inventory. Jim, thank you so much. Jim Crisula, CBS News. What a wonderful fun. When it rains, it snows, it freezes, and we all get stuck. We appreciate your report, and thanks so much. Be safe out there. Yeah, my, my pleasure, guys. Happy New Year to you. Happy Stay New Year well. to you, too. It's 7.36 on Seattle's Morning News. Today's Daily Dose of Kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. A pilot survives a crash into an icy creek in Maryland thanks to some quick thanking from some good Samaritans. WJZ-TV reports this crash happened Monday morning, moments after the plane took off. Witnesses said they heard and saw that plane crash into the icy water. He was heading at us kind of badly, and then he banked hard left. John Gelling used to be a Marine. He says his instincts kicked in. He tells reporter Jessica Albert that he and his son grabbed their kayaks and they headed toward that pilot. Just used the shovel on the ice and I slid the kayak from here out to there. And then when I got to the aircraft, he was in the water, kind of hanging on to that back tail about to hear and i knew hypothermia was going to be a problem and gelling says the 71 year old pilot was able to communicate he threw that man a life preserver getting him out of the water and keeping him until the rescue crews could arrive he said he was losing his engine uh he was very calm i think i think hypothermia might have been starting to come in police and rescue crews did arrive a short time later and they had high praise for the father and son who had jumped into action heroic just efforts that they they did to make that rescue probably save the pilot's life today that pilot taken to the hospital he is expected to be okay and while he has john gelling to thank for the rescue gelling says he actually wants to say thank you right back to the pilot you were actually heading for my house and you turned this plane and you didn't hit my house and for that i really want to thank you A remarkable story that's today's daily dose of kindness Welcome to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Spike O'Neill in for Dave Ross, sitting on five phone books so I can reach the news desk Dave Ross style. Lisa Brooks is in for Colleen O'Brien. And right now, from the G and Ursula show, weekdays 9 to noon here at Cairo News Radio, it's the one and the only G Scott. Good morning. Good morning, my friend. Good morning. I hope you don't have to fly to the show today. No. The no. airlines are just an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. Southwest has canceled flights all over the place. Baggage being sent all over the country, and there's no people there to claim it. 
Is this is this fair to the traveler? Uh, no, it's not. I mean, it's not at all. And there needs to be answers. You're talking about 70% of flights being canceled by one airline. It's ridiculous. When Delta themselves yesterday had 1%. Um, I had a friend of mine who is a flight attendant, been with Southwest for over 25 years. Huh? Um, I asked her what's going on, and she sent me a message. She basically said that um, that their systems um, were on a reset. She said our system to, uh, to schedule crew members is totally antiquated. And we've been in complaining and demanding for change and updates for years. She says the storm was the catalyst for the system to implode. Crews have been stranded for days. No hotel rooms, flights. They were supposed to work canceled, but no contact from the company. So they're just been in limbo. Then going over the time allowed um, uh, on duty by the FAA, so not legal to work. Right. They have to take them off the air. Right. Well, so because there's no contact with the hotel, you don't know when their rest actually begins. Um, they've lost track of where crew members are. Uh, think that they're in one city, but they're actually being stuck in another city. She says right now there is a total total meltdown. Well, I am amazed to hear that, and I'm really glad that you have a friend in the industry that gives us a look at that side of things, because as travelers, we just take it out to the next person we see in a uniform. You know, as travelers who are stranded somewhere, who are being told, sorry, we can't help you, we want to go after the flight crew, we want to go after the ticket guys, and this, and they're in just as bad a position as the travelers are, with no support from upper management, yeah. no support from the company itself. Well, these airline industries, um, you know, the ones that got the bailouts, you know them. I remember them. Um, they have to understand that people aren't just, they're just not missing flights, Lisa, they're missing moments. They're missing things that they will never, there's no money, there's no compensation, there's no accommodation that can make up for the missed moment with that loved one, whether it's for the last time or for the first time. Right. And, um, there's a lot of holidays. Um, I know one of our coworkers right now can't get out. Um, Heather Bosch, she can't get out and get, get back over to these ways. So when you start talking about the impact of what it does, and everyone has their own story, and nobody's story is more important than the other. One of the things that I was looking at um, yeah, over the last two days is just like, you know who doesn't have a problem getting out of town? Any athletes, any any sports teams, or, yeah. or you know what I mean? Yeah. They got their own plane. Every single right? Amazon package has made it to me. Yes, it's it just, has. just like... Sometimes it's like, yeah, there's some people that it feels like this is more important, but I just know that it feels like every person should have the ability to get out and get away. And look, some of it's weather. No no doubt about it. Some right. of it's weather. But not all of it is weather. And this is just so unfortunate. My heart goes out to so many people that are stranded. I wonder if this is going to be the end of Southwest. I was talking earlier about class action lawsuit, you know, is is in the works right now. It's got to be with all of these missed moments. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, they're, they're, no. They're, they're sitting fine and fat and happy. No, no. The, the fine will start off one way and yeah. then it'll kind of get settled for another. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll go up under the couch cushions, grab some cash, pay the fine and just move on like nothing happens. But there'll be people that will never forget these times. My question is, is this going to be the way the holiday seasons are going to happen from here on out? 
Last year, you had Omicron that was devastating uh, when it came to flights being canceled. I didn't make it to my uncle's funeral last year because of flights. Well, last year was Alaska Airlines yeah. year to have a really tough year, but we haven't had as many problems. And because Alaska, Alaska was brought their feet to the fire after they had their problems. Maybe this will be what Southwest needs to invest in a system that can keep their crews informed and in the right place at the right time. You know, I was mentioning earlier during our interview that uh, two senators from the Commerce Committee have said, look, it needs to be more than just the cost of your flight in your hotel room. As you mentioned, G, people have missed moments in their lives. Moments. And I don't know how you put a number on that, but I bet they can find a number, and I bet that number might be just enough to get Southwest to step up and, and come of welcome to this to this millennia this i I was thinking about um we had a text from uh, a grandparent yesterday and they were upset because they missed uh christmas with their grandbabies and i was just thinking like if there's one thing that i've learned in my life about grandparents hey they need to see the babies. Yeah, you don't mess with the that, 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 that gives them life. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That gives them more years. You know, yep. and so when, when grandparents and people lose out on getting that, and then we've already had COVID. You know what we had to deal with with that. Going through all that and then having another year of this, it's just unfortunate. Gee, always, man. Always a pleasure. Oh, it was I good G. Uh, Scott, got in today with Aaron? Yeah, Aaron, Aaron Mason. Mason. I'll be here at 9 o'clock. I hope Ursula yeah. is able to get a flight home from the... <laughs> well, I, man, I appreciate you, buddy. Every time. Uh, G. Scott, G. and Ursula show cut up at 9.30. Or 9 o'clock, excuse me, with uh, G. Scott and Aaron Mason. It is 8.15, Cairo News Radio. There's a need for blood across the region. Winter weather, the holidays, and more are leading to blood donation appointments being canceled. According to Bloodworks Northwest, patients have transfused more than 620 more units of blood than were donated. Joining us now is Vicki Fenson, Bloodworks Northwest Executive Vice President for Blood Services. Vicki, good morning. Good morning, Paul. So listen, uh, why is blood donating so important at this time of year? Well, this time of year is always a challenge for blood blood centers because people are busy, right? Um, many people take a break. Kids are out of school. People are traveling to see friends and family or they have guests visiting them or they're just out doing things. Um, and so we always gear up coming into the holidays. Uh, and this year, oh, my gosh, we got that amazing snowstorm, ice storm, et cetera, et cetera. So many Many donors could not reach us. Many mobiles were canceled because we couldn't get there. Uh, we, we had to curtail some collection sites, too, because our staff couldn't get there. And first and foremost, we always want to keep everyone safe. Uh, but now I just heard your, your great weather and traffic together, guys. And it sounds like it's the perfect weather forecast to come donate blood. It and is. he even said that you can travel pretty easily today on the roads. It sounds like traffic isn't bad. So I was just thinking... If someone's listening and hearing that, you can't say one of your excuses is that it's snowing or that the traffic's bad. So we would sure appreciate it if you would go to bloodworksnw.org, make an appointment uh, for a convenient donor center or mobile near you. Um, and, you know, the sooner the better. But if, if you're busy this week, 
Uh, gosh, what a great New Year's resolution and come in next week. Hey, Vicki, this is Lisa Brooks. Um, we, we have done many times your needs, your emergency situations. Uh, do you get any kind of a notification on a day-by-day basis of what kind of significant surgeries are happening today, what's happening next week? How do you anticipate and fill the needs that you have on a regular basis? Wow, that's a great, that's a great question. And it might take us a long time to really go into that. But at a high level, we do a lot of forecasting. We don't actually hear day to day what's going on because actually that's too late, right? We need to be weeks ahead or at least days ahead of what the need is going to be. Red blood cells have a 42 day shelf life. Platelets only have a five to seven day shelf life and platelets have been in very, very high use lately. Um, but We trend and we're pretty close to it. And right now we have uh, a few of our large complex medical centers using record amounts of blood. And I, I believe that a lot of that is still backlog from patients who um, weren't getting the care they needed earlier in COVID. So we we're pretty good at anticipating what our needs are. Our problem right now uh, is that we don't have enough donors to meet those needs. We're speaking with Vicki Fenson, Bloodworks Northwest Executive Vice President for Blood Services, and I can hear why you've ascended to that title. You know, the roads are clear, but sometimes people's schedules are not. Are there mobile units that folks can visit? And if so, are those locations on the website? They are. Great question. Absolutely. There are mobiles on the website, and uh, we are... Um, running more of those than we were earlier during the pandemic. We're, um, our staffing is great right now. We've got a lot of new folks coming in as well. So there are lots of great opportunities for people to donate. And I always like to say, you know, yes, we need you today. But if you can't come in today or you can't find something that's convenient for you, we draw blood 364 days of the year. Um, and we transfuse 365. So one day we don't draw is Christmas and because that's a day where a lot of donors can't come in and we give our staff that holiday. But we were very busy on Christmas Day. I had a note from a colleague that she visited with her son-in-law and daughter in the hospital who was being transfused with three units of blood on Christmas Day to fight his leukemia. And she said it just brought it home to her that that's what we do every single day of the year. And she was grateful to her colleagues for their work to keep the blood supply there and safe. But she was very grateful to the community as well, who had provided those life-saving blood units for her son-in-law. Vicki, I'm curious to know who cannot donate blood. Are people on, for example, uh, blood thinning medications or blood pressure medications, are they not considered good candidates to donate blood? Well, it's pretty complex. And if you go to our website, there's some basics. And also uh, you can email us or call the number there and people will help you assess that. Most most medications are fine if you've been up and stable. There are exceptions, so I I, I don't want to go into that. And, of course, there's other things that preclude you from donating. The FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, um, very rightly so sets the criteria for who can donate. And it's for two reasons. One, to keep the donor safe and two, to keep the patients safe. Um, There are some criteria that have changed recently that allow people, more people to donate. And on January 18th, we have another big change happening that the FDA has just relaxed um, more regulations around mad cow disease to allow more people to donate blood. So it changes all the time. Our medical staff also keeps abreast of, of 
you know, what, what we know now, right, because medicine evolves, is ever-evolving. So it's, it's hard to answer that, but many people who think they aren't eligible actually are. So if you don't know, the best thing to do is come on in and we'll let you know or give us a call and we'll help you um, assess that over the phone uh, so that you don't, you don't uh, you know, come in and then, and then unfortunately not be able to donate. There are some things day of donation, like we make sure that your hemoglobin level is okay, we make sure your blood pressure, your pulse, your temperature. So those sorts of things have to be done day of donation. And again, those are highly regulated by the FDA to keep the donor safe and the patient safe and to keep our, our staff safe as well. Vicki, I've been a donor since I was a teenager. In high school, I started. I'm an O-negative blood type, and I know that's the universal donor type. Uh, but I imagine all blood types are needed now. They are, but when you said O-neg, I did smile, Paul, I have to say. <laughs> You're right. All blood types are needed now. Uh, and sometimes our A-donors, I'm a boss, feel like, oh, you don't need me. No, we need everyone. And there's other kinds of donations, too. Uh, so we draw platelets, like I said, and, and um, A's and donors are great for platelet donors. But right now, we do need every blood type. You're right, O's are used for trauma. So they are always in very high demand because O-neg and some O-pause can go to all patients in, in emergency need. It seems like the trauma's been pretty quiet, knock on wood, right now. Um, but we have to always be prepared because we, you know, just don't know what might happen. And certainly we have some very, very large trauma centers here uh, that we support. We sure appreciate you getting the word out and we're, we're happy to help do that. How often can people donate blood? You can donate the, what we think of the traditional blood donation of whole blood every 56 days. Uh, and actually platelets, you can, you can donate up to 24 times a year. And many of our donors donate every month or even twice a month. Uh, again, regulated by the FDA. I just want to say you do need an appointment. Uh, we began appointment only early in the pandemic, and we are sticking with that for two reasons. One, we find that the donors like it better because the time is better. We, we accommodate you immediately. We get you in and there's no waiting and it's very predictable. I think many things during the pandemic, we've all gotten more accustomed to appointment only and we see the benefits. The other thing is it helps us predict. We, we can look and see what our appointments are today, tomorrow. And that's why we're calling this code red. In the past, we were blind. So for those couple reasons, we're going to stay appointment only. Um, and, and I also do want to mention that we are masking right now. We want to keep everyone safe, not just with COVID, but RSV, the flu, and all of that. And I know some of the public health officials have come out lately and, and, and urged folks to mask inside. So we are masking. Um, and we'll continue through, the, through this cold flu season, and then we'll reassess that in the early spring. Smart idea. Vicki, thanks so much. Vicki Fenson, Bloodworks Northwest Executive Vice President for Blood Services. Good luck today and every day in the good work that you do. Thank you, and thank you to the community of donors who do regularly donate. We, we really, really thank you. You save people's lives every day. Well, it's our honor to be a part of it. Welcome back to Cairo News Radio, Seattle's Morning News. I'm Spike O'Neill, in for Dave Ross, Lisa Brooks, in for Colleen O'Brien. Uh, and right now, joining us after 17 hours of travel, yay! The one, the only, Mickey Gomez. Mickey, welcome back, and we're so glad you made it. Hi, thank you so much. And you know what? Are you crying, honey? I am. Yeah, I am actually. 
We were really <laughs> worried so about happy. you. I am so, you know, and I didn't know that I was going to cry until this very moment. I am so happy to be home. It, it, it's what? a jungle out there, isn't it? It's not just a clever saying. It is a jungle out there. It it really really was, and I'm so sorry that I'm crying, guys. I didn't I didn't know that this no, I was no, going to no. have this reaction. No, you just were, you were holding on to a lot of stress. I mean, this was a big journey for you, and you started in Michigan. So why don't we? I did. And but the bad start stuff there. <laughs> yeah, go, but the bad stuff happened where. <laughs> Well, no. Well, there was bad stuff in Michigan, too. Uh, we wanted to go and visit my father-in-law for the holidays because he wanted my wife to sign uh, the trust, the will, and to meet the attorney. Um, he's not dying, but he just wanted to get all his ducks in a row. Right. And so we went. We hung out. We had a great time. There was a blizzard where we were because he's in upper Michigan. And so it started um, on Christmas Day, when we left to go back to Detroit to check into our hotel for our, our following day's flight, that was treacherous, but it was nothing compared to what we experienced on our way home from Vegas. First of all, we got into a vehicle with three strangers we'd never met before, and um, I just I, I just went with my gut. You know, you have those moments where it, it's just it's happening so fast and you have to listen to your gut. Have you ever been in one of those moments before? Absolutely. If you think too long, yeah. you miss the moment and, and your your options right. are gone. And so we we got on the uh, bus, the shuttle bus to the rental agencies where all of the rental agencies were there. And we said, OK, go find a vehicle. And we went to every single, you know, do you have cars? No. Do you have cars? No. Do you have cars? I'm like, why are you open if you don't have cars? <laughs> You're giving us false hope. Finally, we ran to Avis. There was an Avis woman running by me. And I said, do you have vehicles? She goes, yes. I go, do you have a van? She goes, yes, get in line. And I ran and got in line at Avis. And we were able to get an expedition with Washington plates. And they were allowed they were allowing us or they allowed us to drive one way um, because they weren't they weren't allowing that in Vegas. It was you had to rent in Nevada only. But the guy was nice and we were nice. And then we started our long journey home. We drove for 17 hours straight and we even called Sully to, to find out, you know, should we take the pass? Should we take 84 through Hood, Mount Hood? And we took what we thought would be the least dangerous. Um, and it was not the winds in Mount Hood on 84 in Oregon were so treacherous that we saw trees fall down and we oh. actually saw they, they closed 84 going eastbound. And unfortunately, people were stuck there for hours. And as we were driving west um, and, and I have the video on on uh, on our Twitter account, uh, Cairo Traffic, um, you can see the trees swaying. You can see cars just whipping by us. And I really thought we were going to die. And I've never had any of those moments in my life before. But we white, uh, what do they say? When you, when you white knuckle the steering wheel, you're, because you're holding on for dear life. That was, that was about 100 miles of our trip. This is Ted. Uh, welcome back. Uh, and uh, Thank you. you. You talked to Sully about which way to, to head north from Vegas. I was a little surprised yeah. you didn't head over to Interstate 5 in California and then just take a I 5 all the way up. Yes, you would have had Siskiyou Summit, but we were so warm at that point that uh, it would not have been an issue there. Uh, and the rest of it is relatively, you know, low level at that point. Uh, you know, you went through the Columbia Gorge. I'm a native Oregonian, right. grew up in the Portland area. I know mm -hmm. the gorge, and it yes. is a frightening place at times during the winter season. So and I, I know you what know you what? experienced. 
Yes. And um, the reason why we didn't want to go through California is because it would have taken us 24 hours and I wouldn't be sitting here today doing my job. So we we decided let's not go through California. Let's go ahead and take the what we thought would be the the easiest route. route. Sure. Right. A direct route. And um, and. So we did make it. We we dropped off one of the families in Federal Way. And then um, Sam, the other gentleman that we met, um, he was here for a funeral. And so we all decided let's after we dropped off, you know, um, uh, the gentleman and his son, we uh, went to the airport, dropped off the vehicle. I went to Lyft and drove and, and got a ride with all of our luggage and our family. We drove home. I finally got to bed at 10 o'clock last night. But here's some things that I learned. I learned that um, what I do is very important here at Cairo News Radio. Um, traffic it isn't just traffic. It's very important that listeners really listen to what me, what what Nate and what Sully are telling you. And I would love it if everyone listening today would go to MyNorthwest.com. Click on traffic, click on Mickey Gomez, and then go to my story about the top 10 winter weather driving tips from WashDOT. Because had we been stranded, had we been sitting on 84 eastbound where the trees were falling onto the highway, we would have been sitting there and who knows what could have happened. But we need to make sure that when we're driving the pass or when we're driving Stevens, when we're when we're when we're driving through the Columbian River Gorge. Are you prepared for sitting there for five to six hours in the event that something catastrophic happens? And we weren't we we weren't prepared. We had blankets, we had gloves, we had boots, we had our luggage, um, but we didn't have the top 12 items that I think everyone needs when they get in their car. And they do those long distance driving. Uh, well, it's such an exceptional situation. We're so glad that you're safe. We're so glad that you're home and you're going to be doing traffic in just a little bit. So, <laughs> yes, me too. So thank you guys. Welcome back. <laughs> Mickey, thank you so very much. So now you're welcome. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.